I just tell people, start with your friends and family and people who believe in you because the people who believe in you, they're going to just want to see you do well and be successful. They're going to care that they get their money back, but they're not going to care about the very little details of, you know, asking for a special, you know, deal if they're the right people. <laughs> and again, when you're taking any investor, even if you're not giving them voting power, the relationship is so important. You just have to be very careful with who you take on as an investor. I'm Neil. And I'm Brittany. We are a family on a journey towards financial and location independence. Each week, we interview successful real estate entrepreneurs about their chosen investment strategy and rate it based on how much money it took to get started, how long it took to educate themselves, how passive it is, and whether or not they could do it from anywhere in the world. Welcome to the Road to Family Freedom. Before we begin this week's show, I'd like to make you an offer, a free 30-minute call with me. We've been doing weekly chats with other real estate investors for months now, and the response has been great, but we're going to change things up a bit and focus. We are buying self-storage facilities. We have a great partner in North Carolina with a great track record of success, a background in construction, and we're partnering up to help him expand his portfolio. If you have an interest in learning more about investing in self-storage, on the active side, on the passive side, whatever your level of interest, we want to talk to you. There's no pitch here. We're not selling a coaching program. This is just a chance for us to network with other investors interested in self-storage. Also, if you're a current self-storage owner, we'd love to chat with you and perhaps have you as a guest on our show. If all that sounds like something you'd be interested in, go to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash self-storage call and schedule a call there. I look forward to speaking with you. All right, enough out of us. Let's hit the road to family freedom. Greetings, friends and families. I'm Neil, and you're listening to the Road to Family Freedom podcast. I'm flying solo today. Brittany had to uh, go run an errand, but uh, we have a fantastic guest that's joining me today. Uh, Our guest is the founder of Groundbreaker, a software service company that helps real estate syndicators with capital raising and investor relations. Jake Marmelstein, welcome to the Road to Family Freedom. Yeah, thank you, Neil. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, well, uh, and I love the background, the the uh, the, the Golden Gate uh, Golden Gate Bridge. Uh, I wish we could all be, <laughs> wish we could be there right now instead of locked in our room. So yeah, very very scenic and appropriate for this moment. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so Jake, the first question right out of the gate, and it's our most important question that we're going to ask the entire podcast. Um, if you had to wear a T-shirt with one word on it for an entire year, uh, what word would that be? Groundbreaker. Oh, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> where where gotcha. my uh, company pride, you know. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, so where did the, uh, what's the origins of the, of the name Groundbreaker? So it's because of a, uh, when you start, uh, um, you know, the, after uh, the development of a new building, it comes from the groundbreaking ceremony. Um, really, that's that's it. And when we started um, the company, we thought it was a cool name, and it's kind of catchy. Um, and it, it has to do with real estate, uh, so it kind of gives you that idea of like doing deals and you know getting deals done. And that's kind of where we started with um, a platform that could democratize the way that people raise money and uh and get deals done so initially 
we were doing sort of like a real estate crowdfunding when we came out. Um, and then it kind of fit more appropriately uh, to that model of massing capital uh, yeah. and, you know, doing ground up developments. And that was specifically because uh, the experience we had uh, or that one of the, one of the partners the company had at the time was in more like ground up construction. And a lot of those deals were not getting funded um, because people wouldn't touch those deals uh, back in the time when Groundbreaker started. Uh, so yeah. there was a really good opportunity there to do crowdfunding for ground up construction. Gotcha. Gotcha. So uh, we're, we're in, you know, there's a, I don't want to say we're in a similar time to 2008 right now because every, you know, every recession, every economic slowdown has its own thing. And this one is especially unique, uh, but at least what I'm experiencing, and I, I'm sure other people in real estate are, are experiencing, experiencing this as well, is that lending is getting tighter mm -hmm. right now. Um, and so are you, uh, are you seeing so far anything, you know, uh, how did back in the day, uh, when you were started groundbreaker, that's really kind of what it was, how people had to get deals done was yeah. through private capital, correct? Yeah, exactly. So when we started, we thought we were going to be a real estate crowdfunding company and we sort of pivoted and offered this tool to be able to raise money from your own investor base and have a more efficient way of operating as a business. But it, these are very similar times actually um, for when we started because private lending was huge. Uh, people were looking for alternative sources of capital because they couldn't get as much debt or the debt, the process of getting underwritten was very cumbersome. And, uh, and it was hard to raise money. So I think we're seeing private money lending uh, on the rise significantly. So I've talked to several groups that are starting their own private lending funds um, or just seeing a, an increase in volume. And crowdfunding may be getting a second wave, although it's been looked on for the past, say, three or four years as a very dirty term. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go back a little bit to your origins. You started, you graduated from Cornell university in 2012 mm -hmm. um, with a minor in real estate. And then you spent a few years working in a real estate investment trust. Um, so can you talk to us about the kind of REIT that it was and what your job was at that time? Yeah. So the REIT uh, was focused on distressed hotels, mid-scale properties across the United States. And we would go for assets that either were already stabilized and had good cash flows. And there was some sort of a play to reflag an independent hotel and flag it as a, as a Marriott or an IHG or Hilton type property. Um, or it was a distressed asset that needed CapEx that was in an area of the country that may have gotten hit um, by whatever economic, um, impact that, you know, resulted in the property, not getting cared after, uh, being valued at a lower rate. And then we were opportunistically looking at certain geographies where we thought those markets were able to recover and come back where we could put capital to work and bring the operating metrics of the asset, um, up to stabilization. And, um, with third-party management and property improvement plans by aligning that asset with 
a better flag, like turning maybe a Wyndham to a Hilton or something like that. And then, um, have it for a seven year holding period and sell as the market, uh, really appreciated. Um, so I was doing a lot of the preparation of the deal materials for our investor base. And when I was doing that, most of the work was done in PowerPoint. So there was a lot of work that I had to do formatting wise. Um, and I remember my boss going through the PowerPoints with a red pen after I printed them out. So this was really strange for me because I was, uh, I was using technology cloud based technology tools when I was a student. Um, so we didn't really print a lot of stuff in, uh, yeah. You know, so the real estate industry, just from that perspective, it was just lacking in tech. But um, there was just a lot of work to do. We were five people in the REIT. Now that that REIT is probably over 30 employees. They've grown substantially. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, at the time, it was it was just way more uh, work than we could possibly handle. Gotcha. So you were in charge of uh, producing the investor marketing to market the individual, um, the individual deals. Mm -hmm. Um, Were you also handling the the investor database and any kind of sort of investor contact and and, uh, proof of funds and fund ingest, things like that? I handle a lot of the data in Excel of making sure that the records were up to date and keeping um, like transcribing data out of subscription agreements into Excel, uh, keeping track of who was interested in the assets that we were raising capital for. And I also did the calculations and analysis and underwriting on the assets too. It was hard to do just one thing because there were so few people. So I was kind of having my hands in every part of the business. I even did asset management work too. And like looking at the P and L's and T12 and analyzing the percentages of different expenses on the expense line and trying to find out what was off and how we could improve them. So it was a really good experience. Um, I think I got a lot out of it and I got to see a lot of things at the same time. So um, just through that experience, that's when, I was thinking about how a concept like Groundbreaker would have any marketability and would have any utility in, in today's world. Gotcha. Uh, so before we, before we get into sort of the, the problems that uh, Groundbreaker has solved, um, it, it was that you were working in a REIT, correct? Yeah, it was a, a okay. private REIT. Okay. Um, so can you, for our listeners that maybe don't understand what the, the difference between a REIT and a syndication is, could you briefly uh, explain that? Um, yeah. I mean, in a REIT, and it, it's, it's been some time since I did it, and most of my work is now in syndication, but in a REIT, you'd buy shares um, and you'd have liquidity. So you could, you know, buy and sell your shares. Um, but I don't know if that's always how things worked. Like we had lockup periods, I'm pretty sure. So, mm-hmm. but there was a level of, um, there was just a level of structure in the REIT where there was like, you know, the man, I don't, I don't know how, um, you know, there was a management company, there was an equity arm. There were like various separate uh, businesses underneath the REIT structure that had different fees associated with them and different 
um, responsibilities associated. And so yeah. whether we were what you typically think of, of a REIT or not, um, essentially it was for me, it seemed like kind of the same as syndication in a way, because we were just starting out. So yeah. maybe a more established REIT, um, that's like a publicly traded REIT is what probably most people are thinking of where you're raising institutional capital uh, and you're not really dealing with individual private investors at that level. I was at the time working in the REIT dealing with an investment committee as well as individual investors and institutional sources of capital. Gotcha. So my, I mean, my understanding of the average person's, experience with a REIT is going to be that it's, you know, it's something that's publicly traded. Yeah. Uh, there's going to be liquidity. Uh, it's going to be the kind of thing that there will, there will typically be liquidity. Um, and there'll typically be, you know, it's a, the kind of uh, REIT that's going to invest in multiple deals. And it's basically a fund that basically can sit there and, and, and put uh, deploy capital into individual assets. And there may, may be a specific asset class that they're focused on. Um, I, I know there's, you know, there's self-storage REITs, there's multifamily REITs, there's retail REITs, there's all kinds of things like that. Whereas the syndication is almost always just one deal. Right. Uh, it's one, it's one property. It's one LLC. They take, you know, they bring in the investor capital and they, and they deploy it on that one deal. Yeah, we had, um, yeah, that's a good, actually, um, that's a good difference. I kind of forgot to mention that, but the having the money in hand almost like you have a fund just means that you don't need to create uh, you, you don't need to go through kind of hurting the cats um, to get <laughs> people to invest because they've already yeah. committed, but you still have to do capital calls. You still have to do an investment committee call and whoever those people are who are going to be responsible for giving you guidance on where to put the money. Uh, there's usually that extra level of, I guess, fiduciary responsibility between the people who work at the REIT and then the investment committee who also has some level of power to decide on what deals go into the REIT or not. And in many cases for us, the investment committee was made up of our LPs. So. Mm. Interesting. So, and typically with the syndication, the LP is, is strictly a passive investor. They've got no, they've got no say in the investment. It's the general partner that, that handles uh, all the day to day. The limited partner is just basically, here's my money, um, pay me my preferred return and, and pay me my equity back when, when the deal exits. Yeah. If you're doing the single asset syndication, then you've yeah. got the LPs deciding on right then and there when they're going over the deal, whether they want to invest in it. And then once they're in, it's really, uh, that's it. Um, what that means is they might not be diversified across a portfolio of assets. Um, but if the asset that they are invested in offers a good return, then they're going to see more of their money in a more efficient cost structure in a syndication. Mm -hmm. Um, than something that would be offered through a REIT where there's like layers of fees and it, it's got its gotcha. benefits, but. Gotcha. You know, I, I, I guess, um, you, you're, you've got a higher, you've got a probably a higher chance of a better return with a syndication, but there's obviously there's more risk because as you're saying, there's, there's not, you're not having quite as much built in, um, 
diversification uh, as you would with a REIT that's going to be invested in multiple assets. Yeah. No, uh, some of the best advice I ever got from a professional passive investor, Jeremy Roll, uh, who we interviewed uh, a while ago, was that uh, diversify across asset class, geography, and operator. Uh, when you're investing in syndication and, and you should be fine. You know, if, you, if you sit there and invest in some multifamily, some self-storage, some mobile home parks, maybe some assisted living facilities mm -hmm. and, you know, don't be all in on um, what's his name. Um, the big investor that, uh, that took people down, not Harvey milk, but um, made off. I can't, Madoff. Yeah. I mean, the people who were all in on Madoff, it's like, it's like, Hey, they were doing great until they weren't, you know, yeah. Break, break your money, break your money up into different uh, operators. So if one operator has a bad year, then you're not getting taken down with them. So. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so many operators doing syndications nowadays. It's, it's much more accessible to get invested into real estate. So I would, yeah. I, I, I think that's great advice. Um, different strategies, different, even maybe even different instruments like some of your portfolio you could have in debt instead of equity, instead of being on the pref uh, with whatever upside there is. I mean, when you invest equity, there's a chance that you can always lose your money. But if you have debt, then at least your name is, uh, your interest is collateralized uh, by the asset. Mm -hmm. So, gotcha. And gotcha. then again, if that happens, you really don't want the asset, but. It's true. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's um, true. So what are the challenges that are facing your typical real estate syndicator when it comes to managing investors? Um, well, it's sometimes it's, it depends on what stage you're at, but if you're starting out as a syndicator, what I hear a lot of people who don't have the confidence to maybe raise the capital yet first, they want to make all these side deals to just get investors in and they end up having a very complicated way of uh, getting that first deal done with all these little agreements. And, uh, and it takes a long time to get the people in the door um, because everyone wants something different. Um, everyone wants their own special agreement. Um, and, uh, and I think that that's, uh, that's where, where a lot of people can go wrong. Um, I, I think that, the thing about having an offer uh, that's that you put out there, uh, standardize it, maybe have one or two classes of shares. If you're going to do like separate classes, you have the GP uh, economic interest and voting power, uh, economic and voting. And then you have the class B, which would just be economic interest. And then maybe you have a class C that has some kind of debt. So you're able to give people who are a little less, uh, who are a little more risk averse, just that certainty that they're going to get that monthly distribution um, with, with their money back. But I think people really struggle in the structure. Gotcha. So when you, when you talk about side deals, like, what are you, what are you referring to? Just having like, you know, well, you know, I want, uh, you know, I want a lot, I want uh, debt and I want equity and, and take it from there. Yeah. It's like somebody who will come in for say 50 K uh, for an eight pref, but if they invest 250 K, then they get a nine 
or nine and a half or, or something. And the deal gets mm. better with the more money that they invest. And then people think that that's going to help them to raise more money. Uh, and that kind of creative structure seems like great because you're problem solving and trying to make everyone happy, but you can't make everyone happy. And it's yeah. going to end up hurting you and slowing you down if you do. Uh, and it's going to be a nightmare from a tracking perspective. So yeah. I just tell people, start with your friends and family and people who believe in you because the people who believe in you, they're going to just want to see you do well and be successful. They're going to care that they get their money back, but they're not going to care about the very little details of, you know, asking for a special, you know, deal if they're the right people. <laughs> and again, when you're taking any investor, even if you're not giving them voting power, the relationship is so important. You just have to be very careful with who you take on as an investor so that you make yeah. sure you're going to be able to achieve your mission and do what you need to do without having all those, uh, any, any other issues distract you. Yeah. Uh, we, we, I often talk about, um, an, a really experienced, uh, investor guy who takes, uh, capital, uh, and he talks about every investor that you take on is a customer service job mm -hmm. for at, ver at least the life of the deal. Uh, and you need to remember that when you're talking to them, that they're not just, they're not just the money. Yeah. Uh, they're also going to be someone you're going to be in a relationship for, uh, for the life of the deal. And if there's somebody that you don't like talking to, um, when there's not money involved, uh, they're really not going to be somebody you're going to like talking to when there is money involved. <laughs> yeah. And like after the deal, whether it is a big win or it's just, you just are happy that you got everybody's money back and you gave them the pref that you promised, you know, these people are going to stay with you after that deal. And what's going to help you to really succeed is having people around you who are big fans and are happy about you. Cause the next person who's going to invest in you, who doesn't know you personally is going to want to talk to your current investors. Mm, yeah. Um, so uh, what are some of the issues that you ran into that led to, so we're going to pause for just a second. My real estate agent's trying to reach me um, and she keeps calling. So it must be no worries. So forgive me. I can look like I'm busy too, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> You're asking the best questions too. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> What? Okay. All right. So forgive me for that. All right. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. And so what were some of the challenges that you ran into when you were working on that side, you know, uh, raising capital, investor relations, um, marketing, things like that, that led to groundbreaker? Well, so for me, the capital wasn't the issue. Uh, talking with investors and getting capital was, was easy. It was just maintaining the data. Uh, I mean, we had to have like over a hundred deals for which we had to maintain data on. And you're thinking on an internal server with all these little folders and documents in every single folder and spreadsheet 
spreadsheets. We had many different spreadsheets. One was the financial model. Another was the investor list. So it was just like maintaining all of that information and having it be in all these different documents. It made it hard to find information. Um, it made it very challenging to keep it updated. And if any investor called at one point and asked us for a report of all the deals that they had invested in, it would just take like a couple hours to just go through each spreadsheet and find them and then add these investments up. Uh, and I thought that this is ridiculous and there has to be, you know, a better way of doing it. And I'm pretty good at Excel. So I tried to come up with some creative ways to concatenate data across spreadsheets and come up with like a master list. Uh, but you know, then there'd be tools out there like Wealthfront, which is a robo-advisor tool, and it allows you to log in and you can place capital in different index funds. It actually does it automatically for you. And then you can see your investments online, nice charts, and uh, you have full control of your account. You can direct deposit into your bank account for money that you want to take out. And it just made things very easy. And then there was crowdfunding in 2012 after the jobs act. So you got all these companies now coming up from nothing that can raise money, give your investor access to information in a transparent way over the internet where everything is secure. And it just made sense that one day, and this is the, the vision I had back then is that one day every real estate investment firm is going to have this. They need to. They're going to have an online system to get access to investments. Real estate's going to continue to be fragmented and companies are going to always be operating in their various localities, whether they're small or midsize or large and you know, nationally reaching. But, you know, first it was, oh, you don't have a website. You need to have a website. If you don't have a website then nobody knows who you are they can't take you seriously and now everybody has a website so the next step is for everyone to have a portal where your investors can go and find their portfolio gotcha um so when you when i as a syndicator i'm i'm a brand new syndicator i'm going to start um uh, I'm going to put together a deal. I need to raise capital for that deal. And I want to use Groundbreaker um, to do that. How does it help me as a small investor? Yeah. So uh, if you, if you are, so, it, so it does help you and make you, it does make you more efficient in putting your deal together and it'll make you more efficient in sending out you're offering to your investors and then having them go through the process of getting subscribed. Uh, but it also just makes you look a lot more professional and bigger than you are because you're small and you want to build confidence with your investors. So giving them the information over this digital portal, it gives them sort of like this peace of mind that they can go and access information whenever they want. Um, and it makes the deals and the, the information on the deals more accessible too. Um, and then you have everything organized in the back end. So you 
You can search for investors and answer questions. You can see who's logged in. You can see who's viewed the deal. Uh, not to mention that the software has an embedded electronic signature and funding portion to it. So if an investor wants to invest, uh, they link up their bank account and then they can send funds over the system. So it avoids mm. them having to go and send a wire outside of the system or mail you a check. Um, and, and those are just the utilities that you'll get and that your investors will get to build a solid foundation for you to be able to have more deals and more investors and just more going on in the technology. Um, but I would say if you don't have a lot of deals, there's not really, you know, you don't have a lot of activity and you're not doing that much then, and your investors are pretty hands off. You don't really need a solution like this, but if you want to be seen as a legitimate player in the space, it's not me telling you this, it's other people who are getting the solutions and then they're having them. And then without having it, it just doesn't look good not to have it. So it, that's kind of what um, I think is happening uh, yeah. these days. And so the, the value sort of just changes a little bit. Yeah. Well, it seems like that's, I mean, that's where we're headed. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, and, and as we, as, uh, as we go further and further along in the era of the internet, you know, there's a, there's a group of people growing up who've, who've grown up being able to access their banking online and their investments online. Right. And when they come up against some sort of old school real estate investor, who's like, yeah, you know, give me your capital, go to the bank, initiate a wire transfer. Um, and then, you know, I'll send you a, a report once a month, uh, that'll tell you, you know, what's going on with your money and, and I'll, I'll, I'll mail you out the checks and blah, blah, blah. I mean, that's, um, there may be, there may be older investors who are totally, who are totally fine with that. But as you start to get to a, a younger, more tech savvy, uh, investor base, they're not going to be okay with that. And they're going to start going to the people who do have investor portals. Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I think that that's become uh, becoming inevitable because of the people that you're working with and the changing tastes and preferences of the individual investors. And it's kind of like, like Craigslist and Airbnb, right? Craigslist used to be great for renting. You could throw something up on there and you'd get a bunch of people responding back interested. And all you needed was a few photos and your phone number or email and a description. Um, but now that there's Airbnb, gosh, I mean, it gives you so much more in terms of control, security, and transparency that you never want to go back to using Craigslist to rent and once you have that technology and you see how much easier it makes your life, it's very hard to rip it out. Yeah, no. And it's people, the, the idea, you know, Airbnb gives you basically connects, uh, uh renters and, and, and hosts mm -hmm. and basically, uh, removes the, uh, you know, makes it more smooths out the transaction. Uh, and I, and to me, that's sort of what you're describing with ground bakers. It basically, it, 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 it smooths out the transaction between investor and syndicator. Yeah. 
Gotcha. Okay. Are you a real estate investor yourself? Yes. Um, uh, I'm a, would you mind me asking what kinds of things you're, you've invested in in the past? So um, multifamily and single, fa uh, single family mostly, but now I'm getting into multifamily. And I'm looking at uh, uh, getting into something around the Atlanta area, but I'm also interested in my neck of the woods in Chicago. Uh, mm -hmm. And there's more deals now than uh, than I, and I can, you know, handle. Uh, so, uh, this is my pr groundbreaker is my primary focus. It's very hard to invest in real estate, but as an LP, uh, I could, I can get away with it. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you are in a, a little bit of a unique situation, uh, with, uh, all of the different sponsors that you have that are, that are working through groundbreaker. Um, are, are there any, um, asset classes that you see that are doing better than, than others right now over the last couple of years and maybe even right now? Yeah. So, uh, really what comes to mind is multifamily because I was speaking mm -hmm. with, uh, one of my clients the other day and, uh, they were telling me they haven't stopped issuing distributions. Everything's fine. People are paying their rent and they were actually surprised at how many more people paid rent in May than they did in April. And like, I just, and then, uh, what's her name? Ellie, Ellie Perlman. Uh, she wrote an article about how it's bogus that people aren't going to pay rent. And, uh, yeah. I think, I think it's right. Multifamily is, uh, kicking butt and it, it should, um, because people always need a place to live. So, and then, yeah. then manufactured housing, uh, I think is one of the best asset classes, uh, because, well, it's just like, it, yeah, I mean, then those, those people though, they might be furloughed or lose their jobs, but in a recession, um, I was talking to one of my clients about it. And he, he was in one of the largest uh, manufactured housing real estate investment companies in the United States. They were like number two. Um, and their whole other portfolio bombed during the 2008 recession, but manufactured housing did really, really well. So I think any kind of multifamily, but especially manufactured housing and mobile home communities are going to do well. Yeah. The, um, uh, the best explanation I've ever heard for why that is, is that you, you kind of have to think about that mobile home parks are, are sort of, I don't want to say a step above homelessness, but it's, you know, when for, it's probably one of the lower lowest, one of the least expensive asset classes that can also be nice. Actually. I mean, there's plenty of, of, of uh, mobile home parks in certain communities. that are actually really, really nice. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, it's an inexpensive asset class uh, or it's, it's inexpensive for someone to buy into it. And then they basically just have to pay lot their lot rent uh, and their, and their, their, um, their utilities and things like that. So that's one, one thing that keeps, you know, that brings it to mind for me. Um, my concern, I, I agree with you that, that I think multifamily and manufactured housing will continue to do well. My concern right now with people saying that, oh, you know, everything's fine is that 
real estate tends to kind of lag the overall economy. Mm -hmm. And right now people are still paying rent, um, but they're also, they're getting unemployment right now. Uh, they're getting, you know, stimulus from the government as well. And that when that starts to run out, if it starts to run out and, and I hope it doesn't, I hope that, that we're out of this before that runs out. Um, that's when people start not paying their rent and things like that. So, but, um, Anyway, so listen, Jake, um, thank you so much for sharing with us today. If any if, if any of our listeners want to learn uh, more about Groundbreaker or more about you, what would be the best way for them to reach out to you and find out more? Uh, well, they could just go to groundbreaker.co. And uh, we have demos on our software available on the website. And if you have a question, you just want to learn more about what we're doing and have a conversation about anything deal structuring securities law i mean we're not you know we're happy to help we're, we're not just here to sell the software so happy to have okay, you. great yeah great well thanks again jake thank you neil it was a pleasure being here yeah. all right we'll see you okay that was jake marmelstein from uh groundbreaker uh you can check him out at groundbreaker.co and we thank him for his time i really uh it's a little bit different um type of interview than we normally do on the road to family freedom um and for me uh the biggest lesson learned would be that um one if you are looking to fund deals with other people's money start with friends and family um one of the big challenges with um with taking other people's money to, to do an investment is, is just the, the credibility, uh, and, and the relationship, you know, having to build that relationship to make them, to get them to trust you. Um, because it, it, that's a huge, that's a really huge part of, uh, working with investors is just having people who, who just trust you, um, to do the right thing. And if you're working with friends and family, um, that's going to be a lot easier to establish than somebody, a total stranger that you meet on the internet. Um, and the second one is that, uh, he talked about, um, keeping your investment structure simple. A lot of new investors uh, will do a lot of different things to try and to bring in money. And so they'll have 10 different investors that all have different kinds of deals on the same deal. Uh, and that's just a recipe for, for uh, disaster and, and driving yourself nuts. Um, so keep it simple. Uh, and if you lose investors, that's okay. You'd rather, um, you'd rather have, uh, an investor who's happy and, uh, than having an investor who's, you know, like, what the hell, why did this guy get more money than me? And you know what, you know, and things like that. So anyway, so again, uh, that was Jake Mommelstein from groundbaker.co, uh, check them out and, uh, let's hit the road. Hey, before you go, if you like the show, we would be delighted if you'd head over to Podchaser and leave us an honest review. And do let us know why you like the show, how long you've been listening, and in particular, what you find really useful or entertaining. And let us know if there's anything you think we should change. Also, if you have specific questions about real estate investing, especially self-storage or short-term rentals, shoot us an email at info at roadtofamilyfreedom.com, and we'll be happy to answer your question on the show. We might even turn it into an entire episode. Thanks for listening. We're doing this all again next week. Until then, safe travels.